be. You can be seated. I'm sure most of you are aware of Max Licato, a prolific author, Christian genre, very easy to read author. I like him because he, he, he's great at telling stories and then at the end of the story, he drives it home with a simple point, but usually a powerful point. And I've got many of his books and have read them throughout the years and I should have known which book this is. I cannot for the life of me did not write it down. But Max Licato has told the story of one of his neighbors. That his neighbor was out in the backyard or wherever the basketball goal was and was trying to teach his six-year-old son how to shoot a basketball. And if you've ever done that, I sometimes it's very hard to teach someone something that you know how to do already. Sometimes it's easy, but there's a lot of times it's frustrating you just want to say, it, just do this, and, and they, they don't get it. And so here it was, you know, the father was shooting, and, and then the son was trying to shoot the basketball, and it just wasn't working, and the father does what we all do. Just, just hold the ball like this, do it like this. It's, it's easy, you can do it. And the little boy tried so hard, but no matter what he did, he couldn't get that ball more than about 10 foot in the air and finally the little guy he got frustrated and he was he was getting aggravated and finally after about the hundredth time of his dad saying you can do it it's easy just do this he kind of said this little boy looked at his dad and he said uh-huh it's real easy for you up there but you don't know how hard it is from down here and have you ever felt like that with the Lord you know, you know how easy it is up there. You're, you're, you're in heaven and you oversee it all and you know all things and you know the end from the beginning, but, but it's harder down here. But I'm so thankful that, that even though we have said that, we probably ought not say that or think that or believe that because the thing is, he has been down here. And he does know what we're going through. And he does know all of the circumstances and the situations and the problems. And so it is. And, and I want to kind of talk about that and preach about that for a moment. If you have your Bibles, um, you don't have to stand. But if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to the book of Daniel chapter 2. And uh, I don't know about you. I am a, I am a visual learner. I listen and, and listening is good. Um, I love to read, and, and I can hold the things that I read very well. But in order, the, the order that I learn best, I read first, and I learn. And then if someone, if I'm listening to someone read, I learn even faster. I don't know why that is, but if someone reads it, I, I catch things I would have never caught if I was just reading it myself. And then if someone shows me, then that's the, the highest uh, comprehension of the way that I learn and I don't remember when it was but somebody I, I did not write it down who was preaching but someone had been preaching on the book of Daniel or parts of Daniel and, and as I am prone to do uh, a person will give their text and immediately I will I will look at the, the verse before it or the verse after it I just kind of always do that to put it in context and then they happen to read it and they didn't, their, their sermon had nothing to do with the text I'm going to give you in a moment. Uh, they were just talking about Daniel. But there was this verse in Daniel that jumped out at me and I wrote it down. And I've had it on a 3 by 5 note card that I carry. I, I have this little note card that I have and I write stuff on it. Sometimes I have my little black journal book that I carry. But, but usually it's this and I've looked at it and it, it just began to percolate inside my mind. I know we're familiar 
with the story of Daniel. But let me read it to you one more time and get you to where I want to, to be. In the second year, this is, Nebuchadnezzar, or this is Daniel 2 talking of King Nebuchadnezzar. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him. And the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans for to show the king his dreams. And they came and they stood before the king. And the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream and my spirit was troubled and I want to know the dream. And so this spake the Chaldeans to this king in Syriac and said, O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream and we will show you the interpretation. The king answered and said unto the Chaldeans, The dream, the thing, it's gone from me. I don't remember it. And if, and if you will not make me known this dream, the interpretation thereof, then you'll be cut into pieces and your houses will be as dunghills. That's a great thing. Especially those of you that, that may be married. Have you ever just tried to read your spouse's mind? My wife is pretty good at that because not everything I say is what I mean and not everything I mean is what I say. Sometimes my tongue gets tangled and my brain gets muddled. And, 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 but, but there's a lot of times where you just look and say, I have no idea what you're thinking. My, my brain, if, 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 if old age uh, makes us forget things, then I have started the onset of old age a lot faster than most people. There are moments that I will literally stand there and just go, it's gone. It disappeared. Can you imagine those astrologers, those magicians, all of the smart men, if you will, in the kingdom, standing before the king, and the king saying, I want you to tell me the interpretation of the dream. And they're thinking, we can do this because he won't know. We can even make something up that sounds good, and, you know, it'll be okay. And, all right, tell me the interpretation, or tell me the dream. And he says, I don't know the dream. You have to tell me what I dreamed. And then have to tell me the interpretation. If you don't do it, I'm going to cut you in pieces and I'm going to make your houses a dunghill. But, he said in verse 6, if you show me the dream and the interpretation thereof, you shall receive of me gifts and rewards and great honor. So, tell me the dream and the interpretation thereof. And they answered and said again, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show the interpretation thereof. And the king says, I know of certainty you would gain the time because you see the thing is gone from me. Meaning, I know you're kind of playing me, uh, and, and, and you could tell me whatever you wanted to tell me, but I'm saying, verse 9, if you will not make me known to the, unto the dream, there is but one decree for you. You have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me till the time be changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me the interpretation thereof. Now, pay close attention to this. And the Chaldeans answered before the king and said, there is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore, there is no king, Lord, nor ruler that would ask such things of any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. It is such a rare thing. I can't even believe you would ask this, king. It is such a rare thing that the king requires, and there is none other that can show it before the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Now, the, 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 the Babylonian and Persian empire is a very studied thing. And they, have, they, they love to speak with flowing words. And, and, and uh, you know, it's all, oh, great king, live forever and all of that. And they have a way. But when you begin to research it, and, and I cannot tell you that I know everything 
about this Babylonian or Persian empire. I would be the first to tell you that I, I'm working off a very concise knowledge, not, not deep knowledge, but just a concise knowledge of things that I have read concerning this. And it is that during this time, the soothsayers, the, the, the astrologers, those Chaldeans, the magicians, they had a belief, or at least they pretended to believe, that each one of them had a, a God, if you will, that guided them. If a magician, and, and we're not talking the top, you know, the top hat made of silk and pulling a bunny out of it. We're talking those that dabbled in the occult and the dark arts and those that would try to tell you your future. They believed that the power they had came from a, uh, and, and again this is something I read out of the pulpit commentary that I have they, they believed that they were under the guidance of a subordinate God. That there were some gods in the Babylonian culture. There were some gods that would communicate with the humans. And they would do that. They, they were there. But there was in the pantheon and the knowledge of Babylonian gods, there were some gods who were bigger and greater and more powerful and stronger. You see this a lot in the, in the Greek mythologies. You see it in the Roman mythologies. You would have little demigods and then you would have gods like Zeus that was up there. and You, you have all of that and, and so it was that you would look. Those Babylonian Chaldeans and magicians, they understood that there were some things that only the big gods knew, not the little gods. So they had come to King Nebuchadnezzar and they had said what you're asking us only the big gods know. What you're asking us only those higher deities that we don't have contact with and they don't talk to us. In fact, I, I would say in, in one of these smaller gods that was in the Babylonian deities was a god by the name of Marduk. And Marduk, he, he, was, he was there, and, and, and they would have asked, but they said, we've not heard from Marduk. He's not told us, so we don't know. And so it was that they were telling Nebuchadnezzar, our gods don't talk to us. If I only had Daniel and the book of Daniel to talk about the one true living God, I could do it simply from this chapter right here. Because they said two things. There were two comments that they made, Brother Wyatt. First off, they said, there's not a man on earth that knows what you dreamed. And the second statement they made was, there is not a God on earth that talks to man to tell us what you dreamed. All I'd have to do is walk you a little bit farther and walk you down through Daniel chapter 2 to show you that there is a God who speaks to man and there is a God who can let a man on earth know what that king dreamed. I love it when I read the Bible. I love it that even when, when man tries to, to, to mess everything up, even just their own words have to convict them that there is a God in heaven that touches man and loves man. And so the king was angry, verse 12, and he wanted to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And so there was a decree. He wrote it just like he wrote the decree for, for uh, those the three Hebrew children to get thrown in the fiery furnace or wrote the decree for Daniel to be thrown in the lion's den. And so here it is. All the wise men are going to die. Well, guess what? There was a wise man named Daniel, and he got a hold of it. He said, what happened? 
why, is that, why, why am I going to get killed? And they said, well, because the king, he, he had a dream. No one knows it and he wants someone to tell him. And so it is that Daniel went to the house and he told those three Hebrew children, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He told them, he said, let's pray. I don't want to die. Let's pray that God would do this. And so watch this in verse 19. And then the secret was revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. And Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. For wisdom and might are his. He giveth and changeth the times and the season. He removeth kings and sets up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knows what's in the darkness and the light dwells with him. And I thank thee and praise thee, O God of my fathers, who hath given me wisdom and might and has made me to now know what we desired of thee. And so Daniel went to the king and he laid it all out. And Daniel said, I know the answer, but it's not because I'm smart. It's because the God I serve has shown it to me. I loved that, that verse in Daniel chapter 12. It's a rare thing that the king do, do requireth, for there is none other that can show it before the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. And I'd like to preach to you for just a little bit the God that's with us. The God that's with us. Now, if you are, most of you, I look out on this congregation, in fact, I would say probably the vast majority, if not every one of us, You've been at church long enough and you have heard enough sermons that automatically your mind knows exactly where I'm about to go. And if you're not doing that, well, that's what I would do if I was sitting in your seat. I would know almost exactly verses that the pastor is about to preach and about to teach. There's nothing deep here. But I just want to remind you that we serve a God that is not distant. We serve a God that is not unknowable. We serve a God that is not hands off. I serve a God that is with us. And when you have a God that is with you, it ought to give you some excitement and some faith. And it ought to build your confidence. In fact, there has never been a moment that God has not been with us. I would take you all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without, void and form, or without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. That understanding of the face of the waters means the top of the waters. This was not something where God stood up in heaven and just kind of did stuff a million miles away. When God began to move on creation, he was there. He moved on the face of the waters because God has always been with us. If you look at Genesis chapter 3, you find, and, and Genesis chapter 2, but you find Genesis chapter 3, he made man. It was a hands-on, tangible experience. He made man out of the dust of the earth. When woman was ready to be formed, he thrust his hand into the side of man and pulled a rib and added to it and woman was formed. God has always been with man. When man had sinned, Adam and Eve had sinned and partaken of the fruit of the garden. You've heard me preach so many times. But it was, it was God walking in the garden in the cool of the evening. Now, some of you, Brother Farino back there, you knew this already because you're smart. I'm not real smart. I don't catch things the first time. I've been preaching for a long time, but I finally realized what it meant when it said the cool of the evening. It has nothing to do with the temperature. It had everything to do with the wind. 
Have you ever been outside and that cool breeze blow by and it feels so good? The Bible talks about the Spirit moving like the wind. And, and so Adam and Eve would be in the garden and the Spirit of God would move in. And they, they may not have seen it because you can't see the wind, but they could see the effects. They could feel it. They knew it was God because God was with them when they sinned. Sin separates us and sin caused them to feel condemnation. Sin called them to not want to be in the presence of God and so they tried to hide from the presence of God. But still God was searching for them. Still God was walking with them. In the Old Testament, after man has fallen, that God with us does not cease there's a difference of, of connection. There is a difference of relationship. But let me tell you, God has never not been with humanity. The Old Testament is full of God communicating with fallen man. God spoke with Abel and Cain. God spoke to Noah. God was with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God showed himself in part to Moses. God was with Joshua. God was there and spoke with David and Solomon. And then every one of the prophets, the reason they are a prophet is because God was with them. In the same vein of this uh, Daniel story and, and the simplicity of them saying we serve a God that's not with us and Daniel coming along and saying well I'm sorry you serve a God that's not with you my God is with me can I take you to 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 19 again it's a familiar story and it shows the dichotomy it shows the absolute difference between the God that you and I serve and the other false gods of this world. Elijah said, or Elijah rather, Elijah said, let's go to Mount Carmel. Get all the prophets of Baal, those 450. Get all of the prophets of the groves, the 400. I want all of those 850 prophets to meet me on the top of the mountain. I want all of the children of Israel together. We're going to go to the mountain and there I'm asking you how long are you going to waffle between two decisions. You need to either serve the Lord or serve Baal. And whichever one you do, go to them because neither one of them won't just half of you. Jesus said it this way, no man can serve two masters. And so it is, you're going to either serve one or the other. And Elijah said, I'm going to be here. Here's you 800. We're going to get two cows and we're going to let you choose one. I'm going to take the other. We're going to cut it in pieces. We're going to build altars. We're going to lay it on the wood. But don't put any fire under it. I will do the same. And then watch what he says. I want you to call on the name of your gods. And I will call on the name of the Lord. And whichever one answers by fire, you'll know beyond a shadow of a doubt he's the one. So there it was. Prophets of Baal gathered and they called. They took the bullock. They dressed it. They called on the name of Baal from the morning, the Bible says, until noon. They said, hear us, O Baal. The Bible says there was no voice. They leaped on the altar. They cried. They, they pleaded. They begged. They did everything. Yet no one answered. So it was that Elijah got a little funny. And he mocked him. He said, oh, he's a God, but, but, but maybe he's talking to somebody else. Now, we're, we're blessed today because we have call waiting on our cell phones. 
And, and, and we can, we can you, you, did you know you can talk to multiple people at the same time on your cell phone? Or you can put one person on hold and go to the other? But I was raised in the old days when the phones were on the wall and it had that spiral 15-foot cord. And your mama always knew where you were on the phone at because all she had to do was follow the cord. Later on, we got blessed and we got us a, 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 a cordless phone. But you know what, it, it was bad. My grandparents, they hate technology. They have a cell phone, they never turn it on. It stays there, they don't ever use it. So it's pointless to call them on a cell phone. They don't have an answering machine. And they love to talk on the phone. And so I'll call them, and you get that, meh, 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 meh. You know what it means? Busy. And you call back an hour later, meh, 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 meh. Can't get a hold of them. Maybe your God's on the phone you can't answer him until he gets done talking to that one person. Do you catch the absolute just stupidity of what Elijah is saying and how much fun he's having? Your God can only talk to one person at a time. And since he's talking to someone else, he can't answer your phone call. Or maybe he's on a journey. If my grandparents go to the store, I'm never going to catch them at home. They don't carry a cell phone with them. They won't know I called because they don't have an answering machine. Maybe your God's traveling. Maybe he's in a place where there's no bars and he can't answer your call. Anybody ever done that? I tried to call my wife 15 times yesterday. Nothing. I could hear her, she couldn't hear me because I was in a place with no cell phone. So maybe your God is, his cell phone plan isn't roaming. Or, or maybe he's sleeping. Maybe your God is up there and he got tired and he had to take a nap and he got to wake him up. So call louder. And they cried louder. They even began to cut themselves after what was their manner with knives and lances until the Bible says the blood gushed out from them. When midday was passed and they had prophesied all the way to the time of the evening sacrifice, all day long they had called on their gods. There was no more voice, no one to answer. No one that regarded, and I get the under, in my brain as my imagination goes, I can see them. They have nothing more. They are spent. Their chests are heaving. Their tongue is out. Their voices are hoarse. They're weak from the loss of blood. And Elijah said, come on. He rebuilds the altar. That incredible thing of pouring 12 buckets of water over it, he does. And then he prays. I believe it was a 63-word prayer, if I'm not mistaken. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that Thou art God in Israel, and that I am Thy servant, and that I have done all these things at Thy word. Hear me, O Lord. Hear me that this people may know that Thou art the Lord God, and Thou hast turned, and that Thou hast turned their back, or their heart rather, back again. One simple prayer. No theatrics, no cutting of themselves, no hollering, no screaming. Just a simple prayer, hear me. And the fire fell because God has always been with his people. The Old Testament begins to transition into the new. And the gospels of Jesus Christ teaches us. And while I'm not going to start quoting from the gospel, it is the gospel. 1 Timothy 3.16 
and without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness that God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received into glory. Hey, Chaldeans, your God may not have any dwelling with flesh, but my Bible tells me God became flesh just for me. Just for me. In the beginning, John began to write, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made, and in Him was life, and that life was the light of men, and the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John the Baptist. The same came as a witness to bear witness of that light that all men through him might believe. John was not that light but was sent to bear witness of the light. That true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came unto his own and to his own received him not. But as many as received him to them gave him power. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. They're born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of the man, but born of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's that simple statement from the angel in Matthew chapter 1. Behold, a virgin shall be with a child, shall bring forth a son, and they'll call his name Emmanuel, being interpreted God with us. Quoting from Isaiah. I love that. I love the fact that the Chaldeans and the astrologers and the magicians and the astronomers and all of those that were there, they said, our God doesn't dwell with flesh. The prophet Isaiah comes and says, but there one day will be a God who dwells in flesh. That dwelling in flesh allows you and I to transition because remember, God has never not been with us. But the greatest transition that will happen on this earth, it happens in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. But not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If in the, the, the Garden of, of Eden, God walked with them. If in the Old Testament, God spoke with them. If in the Gospels, God became flesh. Then in the rest of the New Testament, it's God dwells in us. I don't know about all those other Chaldeans. They couldn't even hear from their God. But now my Lord lives in me. It's Colossians chapter 1 verse 27 that says, To whom God would make you known what is the riches of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Our Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walked not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. I love that flat fact. Bible says in verse 9, But you are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit, so that the Spirit of God dwells in you. And if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Because you've never been without God. 
What a promise we have, that new birth. What a promise we have, that transition, that transformation, that I can now not just know him as the God who speaks with us, not just as the God who came to earth so that you and I could experience salvation, but now I know him as the God in me. And then one day, that last transition will come. He's never not been with us. But up until that day, we've not technically been with him. But what a day that will be. When my Jesus, I'm going to see. When I look upon his face, at that moment, it's not just God with us. But at that moment, I will be God. I will be with him. I will walk where he walks. I will see what he sees. He'll take me by the hand. And lead me through that promised land. What a day. What a glorious day that will be. Say, Pastor, simple sermon. Absolutely. But I take you back to the book of Daniel. I take you back just to the simplicity of that story. Where the, where the Chaldeans and the magicians, they said, and again, those two statements. There's not a God... Or there's not a man on earth that will know this answer. And there's not a God in heaven that will tell man this answer. And just a few verses later, it's proven there is a God in heaven that knows the answer. And there is a God in heaven that's okay to give the man the answer. And Daniel stepped on there. What am I trying to tell you today? And how, do, how should you take it home? It's this. If God is with you, what else do you need? When other people don't have an answer. When other people would say there's not a God in heaven that can help you now. There's not a man on this earth that can help you now. You can say that might be true for you. But there's a God that's with me and in me. Which means when doctors tell you there's no hope. It's alright. I've got an answer that comes from above. When the lawyers and the counselors and all of those that have great knowledge say I don't know. You can say, I do, because I know the one that answers all. Because it's the God that's with us. So what would you need? Do you remember, you remember that, that what would Jesus do craze that went rampant? I think it was in the late 90s, maybe early 2000s. And, and then you've probably heard it, if Jesus was in your house, how would you act? What would you do? Most of the time they use it a little bit as a condemning thing, thinking that you would put some things aside and you'd reorganize and prioritize your life and maybe that book on the, on the, the, the counter, you'd go hide it because Jesus is in your house. We always kind of say it like that. But I'd ask you this. If Jesus is with you, what would you like to ask Him? If Jesus is in you, if thy, Jesus said all power in heaven and earth is given unto me, and later on he said it, but I will be with you. In fact, he even went so far as to say, greater things will you do than I did walking on this earth. If God is in you, what's a need you have? What would you like to tell him right now? Lord, I have a need. That's what Daniel did. Daniel said, God, if I don't get an answer, they're going to kill me. God said, it's all right, I got the answer right here. What is it that you have need of? I want to invite you to stand. The God... That's with us.
Every once in a while, we just need to be reminded that He's with us. A verse in the Bible that has been a constant companion of mine, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Why? Because David understood the principle. God is with me. And if God be, and I'll quote this just a little bit out of context. The original context is, if God be for us, then who could be against us? I would say if God be in us, who could be against us? I wonder if you just lift your hands. I'm going to open this altar because I think some of you need to talk to the God that's here. There's no no crying out. You don't got to cut yourself. You don't have to leap on the altar. You don't have to do what the prophets of Baal did. You just can pray a simple 63-word prayer and come into his presence and say, Lord, I need an answer because God is here right now. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.